haven't walked into the abundance that he's called you for? How many of you are wanting your Savior to help you to live it out to the fullest? God did it, will you? And here's the amazing thing. What I'm saying, like, will, will you do it? I'm not saying that there's something that you just wake up and that there's some prescription that you abide by or there's some remedy that you begin to take. You simply ask the Holy Spirit to empower you and do the work. That's the beauty of it. Holy Spirit, where I am weak, God, there may you be strong. Holy Spirit, where I am clueless. Holy Spirit, where I am helpless. Will you give me the strength? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. The one who never leaves the one behind. Yeah. The grave behind your soul. You left fear behind so If you left failure behind so If you left cancer behind so If you left diabetes so Like you would again a hundred billion times. Yeah. You're the one who never leaves the one behind. Yes, God. One who never leaves the one behind. Yes, Come on, y'all. You're the one. that one. You are that one. You're the one who never left this one behind. Can you point to yourself and make that personal today? You're the one who never left this one behind. Through all of my disappointments, he's the one who never left this one behind. Through all of my mess ups, you're the one who Heavenly Father, we thank you so much because those words are true. You are the one who never left this one. You never left us behind. For in our deepest need, when sin and shame tried to overcome us, had overcome us, God, you saw our need and you came for us. Just like you spoke about how a shepherd, a good shepherd, will leave the 99 for the one. Lord, you left heaven, Lord, and you came to the earth for me. God, I just want to say thank you. Lord, because I recognize, Lord, where I am, where I was, and how great my need was for you, God, thank you. Thank you, God, for 
the compassion that you hold towards your people. Lord, that as the pain of sin was ransacking our lives and existence, your love was greater. Thank you, God, for being faithful. Thank you, God, for being true. And thank you, Lord, for your saving powers. Now, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you just continue to be with us as we transition into this time of preaching. And I ask, God, that you will let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart God, I pray that it will be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. We love you, and it is in your name we do pray. Let every heart say amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Yeah. Thank you so much, Scooby and Joy, for that wonderful song. Um, I'm a little upset because Matt said if they sing it, he was going to do a praise dance, and he didn't. And... Um, and so, shame on him. He tried to blame Anna sitting on his lap, the reason why he didn't get up and dance with the flag. And so, um, uh, we're going to hold him to that next week. Amen? Amen? All right, just joking. Hey, so listen, man, we are today in our second installment of the series, Basics of Belief. And um, it's just, uh, we're going to be doing just that for the next few weeks. We're going to talk about the things that are uh, important to us as believers um, for many of us, this series is kind of like a tune-up. Uh, just, you know, sometimes you got to get some things tightened up, some understanding, because uh, the old adage is sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. And sometimes we are so deep within our faith and in church and, and everything that has to do with it, we forget some things. We, we, we miss some things that are essential to our existence and our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so uh, it's going to be a tune-up for some. Now, some of you, this may not be a tune-up. It may be more of a start-up. Uh, for some of you, you may be here and you've never really and fully accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so my prayer is that uh, whether today or by the end of this series, you will say, okay, that is a faith that I would love to be a part of. And, um, and we would love to celebrate with you as you decide to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. Amen. All right. And we also have, man, as we are uh, processing through um, making sure that we allow Scripture to run through us, our memory verse. And so we're going to read it again together collectively uh, before we dive into this week's message. And so if you can put it up and let us share that again. All right, come on, let's read together. They have... Yeah, I'm going to kind of need y'all to say that like y'all mean it. I mean, I, I understand maybe, maybe it threw you all off. I surprised you by saying read out and open out loud, but it's okay. Your neighbor is reading it too, so you can actually, you know, you can, you can say it a little louder. Say it like Kevin Hart. Say it with your chest. Let me hear you. Let me hear you. All right, one more time. One, two, ready, read. Amen, amen. They have conquered him. They have conquered Satan. Some things you've got to say it like you mean it uh, because the enemy, man, seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, as we said. And if you don't claim it and receive it upon who you are with the fiber of your being, sometimes that scripture is the only thing you have to remind you 
that God is working for you. And also the fact and the reality that this life that we're living, this journey that we're on, it's honestly a fixed fight. And sometimes the enemy gets the best of moments and situations, so it appears, and we act as though he's won. When the reality is that he has not won because we're reading from Revelation, this is the end of the story. We've got a sneak preview, and what they're saying and what it said to us is that we have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb Jesus Christ, and by the testimony. Our testimony, you know what our testimony is? Our testimony is the one that even the angels don't have claim to. You know, there's a difference between us and the angels. We know they see him, they exist in heaven with him, but we have a testimony that the angels don't have. The angels cannot call him Savior. Y'all didn't know that. They don't even have that claim. That is ours and ours alone. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb that has saved us and by the word of our testimony. And so uh, if you remember at the end of this series, what we'll do is we will have a testimony service where we will gather and hopefully uh, as God begins to reveal stuff to you more and more throughout this series, you will be willing to share uh, your testimony with your brothers and sisters and we will have baptisms and and moments like that for the entire service. And so uh, if you weren't here last week, you'll know or you may not know that we gave out just some simple brown paper bags. Um, and those bags are to be used that each week you can collect something, write something, something uh, to, to represent what you've learned or what you're remembering, your testimony is building. And so if you need one, uh, you can see um, the, uh, the ball crew, that's our, our, our greeters, uh, that's Don and, uh, and Wayne, and um, the men with no hair who serve light and fair, they will give you a bag so that you can um, have that for that service, all right? And then, also, if you were not here last week, you probably need to make it your business uh, to go to our website, becomingone.church, and listen to last week's message. You need to make that your business and listen to it um, so that it can speak to you. Get your life together and listen to that message and um, so that you can see what God has spoken to all of us regarding the fall and kind of what led us to the moment that we're here uh, today. Didn't Matt do a marvelous job last week? Yeah. And so um, coming off of the fall in this conversation last week, my, my topic for this week is salvation. The fall happened and then Jesus saved us. Uh, and uh, we're going to dive into that. So if you have your Bibles, I ask that you open them up uh, to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Um, and we'll begin at verse 1, and we'll work our way down to verse 9. Uh, and we're going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, but of course, as always, uh, it will be available for you on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2. And this is what you'll find. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of grace toward us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Amen. Amen. Such, such a powerful passage. I'm going to try to unpack as much of it as I can, uh, but I, I love so much of what it talks about here. First thing, uh, Paul starts self talking about the condition of humanity. And, um, and he begins with this simple phrase, and you were dead in the trespasses and sin. What was our condition? Paul says you were dead. Now, please understand that this statement that Paul is making here is applicable to all of humanity, to everybody here, everybody who has ever lived. You, me, we were dead. And I hear your thoughts. I know what you're thinking. Melly Mel, I've never been dead. I've always been alive. This is my existence. I'm, 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 I'm in my life right now. But Paul isn't talking about death as in you are no longer alive. What he's speaking about is a spiritual death, which is primarily being separated from God. This isn't about non-existent or extinction, but it is what happens when sin comes up in us, uh, rises up in our lives. It separates us from God. That means that we are destitute of the life that he created us for. The result of that or the actuality of that is that we are dead. So Paul is saying that when you live a life that is devoted to the trespasses and sin, you, you'll be dead. Well... What then exactly are trespasses and sins? I, I never like to assume that you know what we're talking about there, so a couple of quick definitions. Trespasses is really simple. Uh, it's like when you've overstepped your boundaries when you've gone too far. Yeah, yeah, y'all looking like y'all don't know what that means. I'm not talking about like when you were a kid and your mama said, don't cross the street after a certain time, you've gone too far. I'm talking about some of the things in life that you've done, some of the things that you know are outside the will of God where you've just gone. You've kn you know that if I take this step, I'm not going to receive an immediate punishment, so I'm just going to do a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, and before you know it, you've gone way further than you ever into anybody ever been there? Yeah. Have anybody ever woke up and like, okay, I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about anything specifically, but you woke up and try to figure out how you got to where you are? I'm not, I'm not saying like you were drunk and you woke up and didn't know it. I'm talking about just in life situations. You look back over the last few months, the last couple of weeks, the last few days, and you don't know how you got, how you got so far. My wife and I love this show. It's called um, uh, God Friended Me, man. It comes on television. And one of the things in the beginning of the story, the guy, the main character talks about, he is an atheist. His father is a pastor. And he tells his father how he got to the point of being an atheist. He says this. He says, for the first time in my life, after my mother died, I refused to pray before I went to bed. And when I recognized nothing happened when I did not pray, I knew that I could keep going. What happens in our lives is oftentimes when we recognize that no punishment, no penalty immediately comes to us, we think that it's okay to continue going. That there is a trespass. When you think that you could just keep going, you can continue in the behavior, keep it up, then you have just trespassed. That's one portion of it. The other part is sin. A sin is basically this. It is a failure to meet God's standards. Yeah, yeah, that's what Pastor Matt talked about last week, right? 
God gave Adam and Eve a standard for life, a standard for their existence. And when they failed to meet that existence, at that point in time, sin had entered into the world. That is what that is. Have you ever been there? Yeah, I mean, we, we don't even have to agree. I don't need your amens on that. The Bible tells me that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. One thing that we have in common in this place, even if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, we all have one thing in common. All of us are sinners. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't have to say Jesus is my Lord, but you're a sinner. It's still true. It rings true. And even though I say that I am, I'm still a sinner. We still have that in common. That is part of who we are. And so what that then means is that since we've all trespassed and we've all sinned, we've all then become a part or we've all been basically the walking dead where we have been dead, separated from God in our existence when we are living a life, by leading a life that is devoid of the relationship with Jesus Christ. And so Paul makes the same point in Romans, and he says, for the wages of sin is death. Thank you. Sin ultimately only pays out one way, and that is separation from God. And I love it. One of the uh, commentators that I read, he said that those who live separated from God are essentially living corpses. So this is, well, speaks to the life in Christ that leads to finding your purpose. Um, and oftentimes what happens as a result is that people will attach themselves to a little bit of everything, hoping to find their purpose or their hope in something that would ultimately fulfill them. Let me make my point plain so you know what I'm talking about. Uh, when, when, when I was a kid, um, when I would receive toys, especially battery-operated toys, um, I, I didn't know to ask for more batteries when the first set would run out. So when birthdays or Christmas came and I get those toys that required batteries, usually after the first set of batteries ran out, um, I don't know if I figured we were just that poor that my mama couldn't afford batteries. I didn't know what it was, but I would never ask for a new set of batteries. And so eventually my toy would become something else. You know, that's what little boys do. You have a toy that starts at one thing, or you have a remote control car, pretty soon it's a rolling car. You just take it with your hand and you roll it through the house. I just never asked for a new set of batteries. What then happened is I started using my toys for things that they weren't created for. So I remember one day my mother, she asked for a hammer. And, um, and she said, baby, go get me a hammer. And so um, I went and looked for a hammer just the way that a young kid would for about 30 seconds. I exhausted all of my resources within the house, couldn't find a hammer. So I simply went to my room and got the hammer that I had been using when I do my work in my room, which was one of my toys that no longer had batteries. It had become my hammer. When I took it to my mother, the first thing she did is ask, where's the hammer? I handed her my toy. She said, baby, this is not a hammer. This is a toy. I need a hammer. I simply said, I was a young boy, about nine, so I was dumb. Er, and so I, I went to her and I said, hey, mama, this is my hammer. I'm going to let you use my hammer. She says, baby, I didn't pay for this for you to use it as a hammer. I said, well, I don't have any batteries. She said, well, why didn't you ask? Just use the hammer, mama. Just use the hammer and everything will be okay. She says, I'm not going to use this as a hammer because it's not intended to be a hammer, but because you've used it inappropriately, the toy will never be what it was supposed to be. 
Here, let me make that plan for you. Basically, what Paul is saying to us and what my mother illustrated for me, when you are separated from God and when you are not fully working and operating within the purposes in which God created you for, you will then be used for something else that's outside of the purposes by which God created you. And some of you have been in places and spaces where you have been used for something other than what God created you for. And here's what I've learned about lies, something that has led so many of us to Christianity and to finding Christ. Sometimes in order to find out who you are, you first have to find out who you are not. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes somebody has to treat you lesser than what you are before you wake up and develop an ethic and say, you know what? I am better than this. I ain't got to take this mistreatment. I ain't got to let you talk to me this way. I ain't got to be in this place. I ain't got to do this no more because God created me to be better than where I am right now. I'm reading Paul's words and what I hear him saying is when you are separated from God, there is no way that you can fully live and lead into the purpose in which God has created you for. So Paul shows us, man, when we get into verses 2 and 3, and I'm not going to impact this a whole lot, just how we got there. Because Matt did a great job, he says, in which you once walked, following the course of this word, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the sins of our body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul is talking about Satan here, of course. That is the prince of the power of the air. He's the great influencer. Did you know he can't, he can't directly force you to do anything. He just influences your places and spaces in hopes that you kind of, you, 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 that you kind of, you, you bite the fruit. Yeah, that's, that's essentially what he did to Eve, right? Did God really say and he puts us in places, precarious positions, in which we've got to figure out and determine as to whether or not we're going to listen to what God says. Or are we going to trust that voice, that influencer that's in our spaces to try to throw us off course? That's the condition of humanity. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But now, Paul shifts over to the hope for humanity. And therein, in verse 4, you kind of find these two really simple words that carry so, so much weight. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. When you followed the pattern of this world, the, the, the prince of the power of this world, you were dead. That was your story. That was your condition. This was your life. You were influenced. You were headed in a certain direction. But God. But God. But God, this was our story. Our condition was we were separated from God, but God, listen to this, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Is there anybody else in here who's similar to me who's glad that you're not a broken toy? Yeah, that, that God decided and saw your brokenness, saw your broken state, and rather than leaving you there, he decided to come and to give you a new life, to give you a new existence, to allow you to walk in the purpose in which you once lived. Does anybody remember life before Jesus? I know sometimes we wake up and act like we've always been here. I love, I love those conversations, man, when people act like, oh, I've always had Jesus in my life. I've been a Christian since I came out of my mother. Baby, no, you weren't. 
You may have known of Jesus, but your heart was not converted. You, you didn't fully know what you were walking into. You didn't know the existence. There's something different, something transformative happens on the inside of us when we wake up and we recognize, man, that there is a Jesus who lived, who bled, who died, who rose from the grave so that I might have life. There was something before him that we can now reflect on and see, but God. Had God not been in my life, had God left me to my own devices, had God left me out there all by myself, had God not come in and intervened when he did, I don't know where I would be, I don't know what I would be doing, I don't know what my life would look like, but all I know is that there's no way I'd have purpose right now on this day. I like that word because we talk about but, basically but nullifies everything that's before. So one of the first things that Paul is teaching within here is with the, the, the hope of humanity is that when but God comes into play, whatever you were before you found God no longer has power or authority over your life. It is no longer a part of your identity, no matter if people hold it over your head. You know, you got people like that who remind you of what you used to do, remind you of what you used to be, but there's a but God, and because but God has stepped in, what you once were, you no longer are, and you no longer have to answer to. Your story has changed. Your, your, your identity has changed. You are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. You no longer have to walk into that. So when Paul talks about that, that new creation, what he's talking about is this. He's not talking about you've been upgraded. He's talking about the reality that now you are something that you've never been before. That's why you don't have to answer to it. And that's why you don't have to respond to the negativity that the enemy or the people plant inside of your mind. You no longer have to do that because the newness that is in you is something that you have not seen, nor is it something that anybody else has seen. So if there's ever a sign, man, of people knowing that God is alive in your, in your life, one of the things that they can't do, they can't hold it over your head, but also they ought to see some evidence of it. Yeah, they ought to see some fruit. They ought to know that there's something different about you. They ought to experience and feel something different within you because the newness has now come alive in your life. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead. What, what about God? I love Paul. Paul says that he is rich in mercy. Yeah, remember those trespasses and sins? Paul, Paul's response to your trespasses and sins is God is rich in mercy. God, God has a wealth of mercy. And in, in, in the original language, it really points to that, that God has mercy flowing out of him. The imagery is like you have God and you have a river. A constant flowing river flowing from God's being. So your trespasses and sin essentially get drowned in the river of God's mercy. They, they can't stand because the river of mercy is too rough for them. And so they get drowned. They get left behind. They, they get subdued because God's mercy, the richness of it, the wealth of it, covers it completely. And no longer are your trespasses and sin powerful because they've been overpowered by the river of mercy that's flowing out of God. So if you are here and you feel like 
like you've gone too far. You feel like there's no hope. You feel like that you're just trying to, to make it and that you've got sin and shame looming over you. Baby, understand that the God that you serve has a river of mercy flowing out of him and that he's not tired of you. He will not grow weary of you. He's not making a list and documenting it to hold it over your head. The more that they come up, the more that the river continues to flow. And God's river is not a well that will ever run dry. It will continue to work, continue to move. It will continue to heal your existence. The river is working and it is working for your good. He's, he's not giving up on you. Even though the, the serpent, not only within the garden, the serpent in this day still is busy at work doing his best to influence us, to still kill and destroy our, our existence, God still pursues us. And he resurrects us and he gives us a, an abundance of life. And that abundance of life, my brothers and sisters, is the definition of salvation. The abundance of life is the definition of salvation. Did you know that salvation isn't about the life that happens after death? Listen to Paul's words. He says this, um, by grace you have been saved. Uh, no, notice that Paul didn't say, by grace, listen, one day eventually when you cross over from this life to the next, salvation will be yours. Paul says, no, you have been saved. It is, not, it is not a present tense. It is not even a future tense. It is a past tense. You have been saved because of the grace of God. You've already passed from death, separation from God to life, connection to God. Does that make sense? Because of the work performed by Jesus Christ, you have already passed from death, separation from God, to life, connection to God. That's already transpired, already taken place. And so we hear people say, man, that, that death, that salvation is about the afterlife, and one day we'll be able to rejoice in what the Lord has done. No, today is the day to rejoice in what the Lord has done. He's already done it over 2,000 years ago when Jesus got on the cross, and not only when he got on the cross, when they buried him in a borrowed tomb, and he woke up from that grave three days later. From that moment forward, you and I have lived because he defeated the grave. Now we have defeated the grave as well. You are saved saved yes. Yes. not being saved because Jesus has already defeated sin he's already defeated the grave you are saved Jesus laid down when we were separated from God and became a bridge so that you and I could cross over and that our relationship with God could be reconciled that's basically a definition for a word that we call atonement which basically means this. You, you hear some people say it's about at one minute so that we could be at one again. But I like this definition. Atonement is a work Christ did in his life and death to earn our salvation. Notice that. It's the work that Jesus did in his life and death to earn our salvation. Which means that our salvation has already been earned by Jesus so that we don't have to earn it. 
By grace, you have been saved. You don't earn it. Jesus earned it for you. You don't earn it. You did nothing to earn it, nothing to get it. And the reality is, baby, there's nothing you can do to lose it. It was never yours in the first place. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You don't earn it. It is just received. And because of Jesus' attorney work, earning our salvation for us, we are now what's called justified. Love it. A couple of weeks ago, man, Pastor Blasford came here and he dealt with justification a little bit. And we've got this, this cute phrase that we talk about with justification. It's, it's this. It's, it's just as if I have never sinned before. I like that definition, but I also like this a little bit more. Um, meaning that, uh, so Jesus bore the penalty for our crimes. And now when God looks at us, he's not simply looking as though we have never sinned before. No, justification is he looks at us and he knows that we've sinned, but he knows that Jesus bore the penalty for our sin. That just as if I've never sinned before makes it seem as though God is ignorant to it. He doesn't know what's happened. He, he knows what happened. He knows the sinners that we are, but he looks at us and says, I, 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 won't, I, won't, I won't punish you, George. I won't punish you for your sin. I won't, I won't punish you. Because Jesus has already been punished for you. He stepped in your place when the penalty was on his way. Jesus switched places with us. That's called substitutionary atonement. He switched places with us so that we wouldn't have to bear the blunt of the punishment, the penalty that was coming to us. There was, I read about this one time, man. Two, two ladies were they, were, they were walking and they were going on a work trip together. And um, one of the ladies was a believer. The other one was not a believer. And for some reason, out of the blue, one of the ladies asked the one who was a believer, she asked, well, well how do you know that you're saved? And um, the other lady was a believer, thought about it, she reflected on the moment, and she took a few more steps and she dropped all of her bags. And she just stood there and she looked up and she says, well, how do I know that I don't have my bags anymore? The woman said, well, because you've lessened the weight. And she says, well, that's the same way that I know that I'm saved. Because right now, no longer do I have the weight of sin that was once on my shoulder. Right now, I've been freed of the sin and the shame that was bearing down on me. I, I feel freed of the condemnation that I was experiencing every day. Right now, no longer am I carrying the weight of the bags that came with sin because Jesus has taken it on from me and that I have found peace and satisfaction in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that peace and satisfaction is the natural product, the byproduct of what salvation is in Jesus Christ. It is what gives you joy in the midst of sorrow. That's what salvation does for you. It is peace that comes in the midst of the storm. It is a firm foundation when the world seems to be spiraling out of control. It is hope when it seems like there is nothing to be hopeful in. And we live in a season, brothers and sisters. We live in a world where it would be very easy for us to slip into that type of consciousness and existence. We live in a world where it would be easy to be sorrowful because there's so much pain within inside of our world. And the pain is true and we cannot ignore it. But 
here's what we have. The salvation of Jesus Christ lifts the weight of even that pain and allows us to have joy in the most sorrowful conditions. Not only that, man, we live in a world where it'd be very easy to be hopeless. And I know in your mind you're thinking, yeah, when you're talking about the political situation, I ain't got to think about what's happening in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I can simply go to Main Street and I can look on Main Street and I can say, there's a lot going on even on Main Street that would allow me to feel hopeless within our existence, but my hope doesn't come from Mainless, Main Street. My hope doesn't come from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. My hope doesn't come from whomsoever on the school board or whatever political office people are in. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Matter of fact, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name on Christ. The solid rock I stand. All other ground is seeking sand. My hope exists in him. And with our salvation, we have that existence that helps to change us over. So the question is, how is all this possible? I'm glad you asked. You guys ask such good questions. Well, I love y'all so much. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. We are saved for no other reason but because of the grace of God that he's given to us. Listen to this. If mercy is an ever-flowing river that's coming from God, grace is an ever-flowing river coming to God. Yeah, yeah. If mercy is an ever-flowing river that's coming from God, grace is an ever-flowing river that's coming to God. Mercy helps to drown the things that distance us from God so that we can have the ability to have the grace that will lead us to God. So it's working together. They're like twin rivers, like the Tigris and the Euphrates. The grace is bringing us closer and closer to him. Grace gives us access to the gift of salvation that we've never earned. The old preachers used to use an acronym to describe grace. It would simply say this, God's riches at Christ's expense. We get to experience the richness of the relationship and salvation in Jesus Christ because Christ bore the expense or the penalty of our sins. We get grace. And here's what I love about grace. It's not complicated. We convoluted it and we've tried to add things to it. People will say, yeah, grace and. No, there is no grace and, baby. It's just simply grace. Grace is given to us freely. It comes with no cords, no cost, and no expense other than Jesus Christ so that when we come freely and boldly before the throne of grace, we know that God isn't holding anything over our heads, that we have free access to the Lord, our Savior, and to our God. Grace, grace is a gift. All right, maybe, maybe that's not clear. Let me ask you a question then. Um, when, when a person works an eight-hour day and receives a fair day's pay for his time, what do we call that? A wage, yeah. Or when a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for their action, what do we call that? It's a prize or an award, right? Or when a person receives an appropriate recognition for their service, a high achievement, that's what? That's an award or a prize again. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, they can win no prize and deserves no award, yet receives such a gift anyway. 
That's an example of God's unmerited favor. That's what we call grace. We were incapable of accessing God's goodness. There was nothing that we could do. There was nothing within our power. The old school church, they would make annual sacrifices to atone for their sins, and they had to continue it on, but there was still nothing they could do. They didn't actually atone for it. That was, that was something that was temporary, something that wouldn't last. There was nothing that we could do. We were separated, and that was the end of our story. But Jesus came, and he saw a people with no power, no influence, with no hope for earning their relationship back with the Father. And he took the lashes. He took the penalty so that we could access him all by ourselves. We, we walked and lived in the existence of the grace of God. Last thing, last thing. I just feel like y'all not getting it. I'm trying, trying to think how to make sure that it pierces you. Um, um, when they were building the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, uh, years back, before a lot of our modern technology and modern equipment, this is, this is what happened. The, the, the plan took a while because the workers were continuing to fall to their death. As they were hanging and trying to complete the job, many workers fell to their death. Well... Some engineers came together and they figured out that if we're going to continue this, we've got to figure out a way so that our workers don't continue to die. Because if workers continue to die pretty soon, there aren't going to be any workers to get the job done. So what they figured out was this. How about rather than trying to figure out a more creative way to hang from there and to be secured to the bridge, how about we place a net up under the bridge that even when they fall... They won't fall to their death. There'll be something right there to catch them. Well, lo and behold, to the reluctance of the original workers and some of the people who are over the construction, they eventually agreed to allow the net to be built up under the bridge. And what do you know, from that moment forth, they never lost another person again because the net caught every person who landed or who fell from there. But here's what they found. Not only did they not lose another person, something happened that people stopped falling. The reason that people stopped falling is because they were no longer fearful of the fall. And because they were no longer fearful of the fall, they had more security to do the best that they could with what they had. What that means for us and what grace and salvation does for us is this. Some of us are leading anxious and fearful lives. That's what Pastor Matt talked about as a result of the fall. But you don't know that there's a net that's up under you that was created by Jesus Christ called grace and mercy. And you're living fearful and frightful and wondering if you're going to be able to make it through. I just came here today to let you know that there's a net up under the bridge that's going to catch you should you fall. And since there's a net that's there to catch you if you fall, baby, you can live the life that you were created to live. 
You can wake up and pursue the things that God has spoken into your heart. You can chase away the things that are keeping you from getting closer to God. You can live the life that God created for you. You can walk into the abundance that God has planned for you. You no longer have to let your past identify you. You can be saved and you can live the righteous and the just life that God has for you. You can walk into your abundance. Well, Mel and Mel, I don't agree with abundance. Like the whole prosperity gospel ain't my thing. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about, man, there was a life and existence that he planned for you before you were formed in your mother's womb. And you're never living and walking into the life that God planned for you if you're living fearful and not trying to walk and pursue what he's birthed inside of your hearts. Some of you have got a ministry that you've got yet, not yet released because you're worried about what people are going to think about you. You're worried about if you're good enough. You're worried about if you have strength enough. Well, let me give you a true story right here today. The reality is this. You are not good enough. You don't have strength enough. You don't have power enough. But you've got a Holy Spirit who does. And the God that we serve has called for you to be greater than what you're allowing the enemy to trick you into. And I know he whispers in your ear, and I know he tells you that you're not good enough. And I know he wants to make it seem like the suffering is the end of your existence. But I want you know, to know that your suffering is for your good and not for your bad. And rather than you allowing your suffering to be the decline of your existence, why don't you step up daily and wake up and walk boldly into the throne of mercy and say, the God that I serve came from heaven to earth. He suffered, bled, and died that I might live, and I might live my life to the fullest, that I might walk into the fruitful existence that he has for me. You were called to live. To live and to walk holy before our God. For your relationships to be whole. For your existence to have meaning. For your life to have truth and to have truth and power and justice that comes from God. That's why he died. God did not die for you to live a dead existence. He died for you to drop your grave clothes, Lazarus, and walk into your life. Live. You were called to live. That's what salvation's about. It's not buyer insurance. It's not for you to avoid hell. It's the least of your worries. It is for you to live life. What are those things that you're doing? What are you hiding from? Who are you hiding from? What are those relationships that you need to reconcile? Who are those people that you need to reconnect with? What are you doing that's not allowing you to fully walk into your existence? What is that sin that's so easily entangling you that you can't fully get up because you're worried about something being exposed? Drop that off and walk into your life. Live. What he wants you to do. He wants you to live. Jesus died for you to live. Not live according to the world's standards. The world will say living is get married, have two and a half kids. I've never seen a half a child before. Get you a, a house with a white picket fence. And that's life. God may say for you to live, I need you to let all that go. I need you to stop worrying about how you're going to receive payment. I need you to go to a place where somebody's never been before. 
I need you to move into a community that's devoid of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I need you to plan a church and to talk about racial reconciliation, which people in your community would think it's crazy. I need you to merge two churches together, and I need you to let go of some of the security that you have and do this. God may be calling you to something that makes you uncomfortable, and he may say the only way that you're going to live a life is to do something that's not going to make you comfortable, that's not going to add up when it's all said and done. And brothers and sisters, oftentimes in order for you to truly have life, you've got to be uncomfortable. Live. He's calling you to live. Can I say it one more time? Live. I want to ask the counselors to come forward. Get a few up front here and at least one in the rear. comes to lead us in song you'll also see there's some counselors to the sides of me and one in the rear as well again for some of you this may have been a tune up for some of you it may have been a startup this is new to you and you're like man that's that's something that I, I, I need I, I want that well these counselors that are here can't give it to you because we received it the same way that you will but they're here to partner and pray with you as you decide to make that step toward Christ to receive the salvation that comes from the Lord. It's real simple. Um, the Bible says this, and whoever calls upon the name of Jesus Christ shall be saved. There's nothing more to it. I don't have any more caveats. I don't have nothing else for you. Grace does the rest of the work. Call on the name. What does it mean to call on Jesus Christ? Jesus save me. Your Savior will comply. That's what they're here for. To pray with you and that. To grab your hand. To say yes. Or, or maybe or maybe you recognize that you need a little bit of a tune-up. And you just need somebody to touch and agree with. They're here for you for that as well. You recognize, man, I, I, I have not let my grave clothes go. I've been living a dead existence when God has called me to live and I want to walk into life. But these counselors are here to say, we'll walk with you. This church is here to say, we will walk with you. See their life. And here's what I believe, and I'm, I'm going to take my seat. I'm going to pray. Here's what I believe. In four weeks, four weeks, we are going to have a testimony service. And we're going to put all of our stuff in our bags. And many of you are going to share your testimony, but somebody else is going to make a different testimony. We're going to put a pool right here. And in that pool, there's somebody in this room who's going to say, today is my testimony by baptism. That's you. Come see one of our counselors. And we can't wait to baptize you and celebrate with heaven's angels as you say, yes, Lord. So if that's you, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to take my seat. And as soon as you hear me say amen, I want you to get up and I want you to make your way quickly to one of these counselors. Don't let the enemy whisper in your ear. Remember, he wants to influence your decisions. Refuse to allow him to do so. Let's pray. God, we bless you because you are our Lord and our Savior, God, and all good things come from you. And right now, we rebuke the enemy and any of his plans against your people.
We pray, God, that you will allow them to walk into the very life and existence you've called them to. Right now, Heavenly Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will empower somebody, that they will say yes to Jesus right now. And that we will walk, wait for, and long for the day, Lord, where they will lay before God's people and they will say, I do, and we will baptize them in the name of Jesus. God, right now, there's somebody here today who just needs some extra and additional strength for this walk. And I pray, God, that they will move forward and walk into their life right now in the name of Jesus. We receive these things, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Who are you? Somebody get up and come right now in the name of Jesus. Where are you? You need to make that decision. You've been waiting. You're here. Say yes to the Lord. Say yes to the Lord. Will you come? Are you hurting and broken? Come on. Will you come?
Yesterday, there were a, a group of you who met here and cleaned and set up transitions and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't even know who you all are because I didn't come. Um, thank you so much. Amen. When I walked in here, I was like, this church looks beautiful. Thank you for your hard work. Thanks for serving. Um, yeah, so I, just, I appreciate that. Uh, tonight... Remember, at, at 6 o'clock, we have our Locked in Solidarity service in here. Um, on Friday, at 9 to noon and 4 to 7, we're helping the neighborhood get groceries. We're doing runs. A couple vans have been rented. We have some other vehicles. We need people to be here and hosting at the grocery stores to help people shop and hustle them along. People being friendly through all of this. If you want to serve on Friday, talk to Angel after this. And also, we have some, some flyers to pass out to neighbors to, to bring to buildings and things like that. It, it, grab some flyers today. Spend a couple minutes passing it out to people. If they need some help, we're here to help this Friday, and we'll see what the Lord does with that going forward.